Welcome to Talking Social Studies. You're listening to Episode 6, Analyzing Photos and Paintings, for February 12, 2017. Stick around at the end of the show to see if you can correctly identify who's delivering the audio in this famous speech. This is the podcast where we talk about social studies and education today. Here you'll find conversations about strategies, resources, ideas, and more, all designed to help today's social teachers impact their students. Let's introduce our host for episode six. I'm Amy Presley, and I'm a history teacher at Broken Arrow High School near Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can follow the Talking Social Studies podcast on Twitter at T-A-L-K-I-N-S-S, and you can follow me at S-T-L-N-O-K. Hello, I'm Chris Hitchcock. I teach world history for a private online high school affiliated with Indiana University. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at chitch94. You can also find our Talkin' Social Studies website by going to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y backslash talking S-S. And hi, everybody. I'm Scott Padway, uh, an instructional coach in Pleasanton, California, and a former social studies teacher. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Padway. And hey, everybody, I'm the fourth leg of this this relay team of uh, the Talking Social Studies team. My name is Ryan O'Donnell. I'm a technology TOSA teacher, teacher on special assignment, former social studies teacher out here in Rockland, California. And you can follow me on the Twitters at Creative Ed Tech. And hey, everybody, we're on episode six. We made it to episode six. We did, yes. (laughs) And so for those of you who are checking us out for the first time, we're a podcast where we talk about all things social studies related for history teachers and geography teachers and civics and and everything else in between about how we can be able to uh, find ideas and resources and be able to kind of uh, get us thinking about um, ways we can change the way in which that we're teaching social studies in the class and, and really kind of emphasize that idea that we're better together by learning from each other. And just us, uh, uh, this team, as we're putting together these podcast episodes, it's a really interesting experience. As we're looking over our show notes and talking about like, oh, I, I, want to, I want to be able to hear more of you talk about this, Amy or Chris. I can't wait to you to share about that. And so that's the whole point of this, these kind of conversations for us to all kind of be involved in this better together kind of uh, world that we live in now. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, the... Um the stuff, it seems like it's such a rabbit hole for me. Like we start talking about things and then I wind up after the show digging into more and then the conversation in the hallway or with another person on Twitter. And, you know, it almost seems like a lot of the time that we spend between episodes, I'm just running down the rabbit hole of what the last episode was before I chase what the next one's going to be. Mm-hmm. And there's some truth in that, right? And we all have our own expertise too. I mean, we've all taught different subjects in the past and know of different resources that we use and like to use. And it's a great, great way to just kind of, start seeing things that are out there that I would have never considered and didn't even know existed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and so this episode, episode six, we're talking about, we're going to go down another one of these rabbit holes and we're talking about photos and paintings and how to use images in the classroom. And Amy, you want to uh, uh, talk a little bit about first off going to your shares, but talk about what, what's sort of the importance of why images are something that we really need to focus in terms of working with our kids in the classroom today. Well, with social studies, the photos and really kind of any visual art can just be this phenomenal way to set the stage or or draw kids in on a topic or so far. Um, But they tend to be really hard for kids to fully understand. I don't know about you guys, but it sure seems to me like I can always tell who the kids had before they got to me because some kids are really, really great with the political cartoon. Mm-hmm. And these other kids are great with the painting. And then, and it's, I feel like my job tends to be a lot of kind of getting them to, to synchronize where they're at. Um, so I try to start, I, I try to start with something they're kind of pretty familiar with um, and keep it simple, but generally tied to the, the topic we're going to be talking about. Um, I teach high school in Oklahoma. So that uh, famous kind of great depression picture uh, by Dorothea Lang, the mother with seven children where she's uh, kind of, yeah. Got the kids in her lap, and it's the black and white photo. And migrant, it, migrant mother, yeah. Yeah, the migrant mother. Um, so, I mean, because she's an Oklahoman, um, the kids have been smacked over the head with this painting for years before they get to be their junior, senior year in high school. So, but we can start there. And um, we do kind of a general discussion using something. 
archives worksheet in where they kind of break down different elements and list before they even really kind of dive into making meaning. They just list what's there. And I think that's a lot of it for my kids. It's just getting them to start with just before we start trying to like analyze it, let's just talk about what's there. Um, and recently my kiddos started with, uh, we went one-to-one -one with Chromebooks. And so, you know, part of it's the learning curve for me and part of it's the learning curve for the kids. But um, we just, we've started using the, uh, the Cami extension uh, with their Chromebooks to kind of be able to doodle and, and manipulate on the images themselves. And that seems to help. Oh, interesting. I've used Cami before. I've only used it for like PDFs per se. I haven't really thought about using it with images though. Yeah, that's what exactly what I was thinking. That's something that I encourage the kids in my online course to use to annotate things that they're reading, but I never thought of using it to annotate an image. And so thank you yeah, for that idea. Well, yeah. um, using Cami with DBQs. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, yes. and having them annotate DBQs. And I was like, well, if we're drawing all over the map, picture, and it seems to be working pretty well. Yeah. For those of you who are not familiar, and uh, when I first heard Cami, I was in there, I'm trying to spell it all these different ways, you know, but it is K-A-M-I, and as a PDF and document markup, and you would go to the, you go to your Chrome store, and it's an extension you can install. Yeah, it was a freebie one, because Lord knows we're not spending money, we're all in public education, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it could go a lot better, but my skills are, are still, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what seems to be, it's different what works for me as an individual and then what works with 35 kids in front of me. Um, but so next year I plan to kind of go back and, and start this a little better at the beginning and probably just use my tablet to take a snapshot of the area behind my desk because there's so much little kind of like, I've got my teach like a pirate flag and there's a mm -hmm. couple of books and you know, there's, there's a lot you could get out of my personality just by taking a snapshot of my desk and having the kids start there. Oh, that's a good idea. I like that. That is but, really cool. Yeah. And that would be a neat way for them to kind of uh, share something about themselves as well. Like if they could, if there's a, you know, something that they that. want to take a snapshot mm -hmm. of something that's important to them and share that. And they could even maybe like guess whose it is. I don't know. Like make some kind of collage. I don't know. There's a lot of different well, things you could do with that, I think. And you can even really highlight with that. I mean, some of that, the, the, the idea that all those photographs are behind a lens taken from that photographer, right? So you could even have them try and intentionally mislead people by, you know, taking a, a, a like a kind of a macro photo uh, and then actually just splicing out a small piece of that and, and seeing what, how that story changes by when you, you know, only seeing a very small amount uh, of what the photographer wanted you to see versus, you know, that whole picture. I think I just got my like day three activity for next year done. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah. Because when you think about it, I mean, even archeologists, we focus on the places and the spaces where people are from. So I like that idea about, you know, start local, start lo here in the classroom. What can you tell about me? What can you tell about this? Because I think the overarching trend that we're seeing from, you know, from, you know, common core all the way down the idea that we want students to become mini historians. We want them to become the ones who are analyzing. So, and I love the idea about starting with, a connection that you have. And that really kind of helps build that rapport as well with your, with your class. Well, that's a shift with common core too, right? I mean, we're talking about the skills and we want students to have the opportunity to apply those skills. So the more opportunities and things that we can build in for kids to utilize what we're, what we're asking them to do rather than the kind of sit and get, and let me tell you everything that has happened or everything that you're supposed to see in this photo or in this painting. Mm -hmm. Uh, but really giving them the power to, you know, critically analyze it and then, you know, collaborate and communicate and share with their with their classmates uh, and, and all kind of work towards finding the same goal as opposed to, uh, well, here's the right answer. So this is what you should get out of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I remember when the, the first season of Sherlock came out, I used to show that quick clip of one of the times that Sherlock is able to be able to get so much information and, everyone's, and, and then the you know, the guy says, well, how did you, how did you do that? And he quickly goes back and says, well, I saw this, 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 and this, and put it all together. And of course that's lightning speed, but that's the same thing, kind of skills that we want our kids to do. I, I, getting back to what Scott said a few moments ago about um, having the students think about focusing in on a particular part of an image or about how the image is created um, and like the point of view that you're getting. One of the things that I find students kind of struggle with is one of the the concepts, I guess, that we're kind of getting at more and more in teaching social studies and teaching history is context. 
and helping the students place things in context, but then having them also have an idea of how to describe context, like if they're writing an essay or if they're giving a presentation or something that you can't, yeah. And so one of the things that I came up with, and I used this in a a presentation that I did to some uh, technology teachers at a conference, was to take a picture, and I used the picture of like um, civil rights workers being uh, hit with fire hoses, like in Birmingham during the probably like 1960 four or five. Um, and I just focused in on the firemen and the hose hoses. And I cut everything else out of the picture. And I asked them, what do you think is going on here? And then I opened it up a little wider. Now, what do you think is going on here? When do you think this picture was taken? And then the whole picture kind of helped. And I thought this would be a good idea to use with students. You know, this gives them the thing like, okay, if you're just seeing this part of the picture, you're not getting the whole story. That's amazing. And it's so easy to do. Yeah. Cause I just did it in a Google slide and just like copy, you know, like blocked out, you know, put like colored, you know, the same colored background squares over the parts of the picture I didn't want to use. And then, you know, very high tech. <laughs> but that's, but just real fast. You have seen, that's one of my things for later in the episode. I'm doing. Oh, whoops, sorry. <laughs> that was fantastic though. And that's the beauty of this though too, right? Is, I mean, we're talking about, kind of a framework for things. And a lot of things that we're going to discuss today are things that we're applying the same skills towards the cartoons that we've talked about in the past and all sorts of other media and through our media literacy episode. And I mean, really when we start looking at what we're actually, the skills that we're trying to teach, I mean, we're just really applying these same skills to just different mediums and different types of uh, content and, and things that we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I've been teaching for so long, you know, I started in the mid nineties that, you know, I started on overhead projectors. If anybody knows what these are, they were big boxes with a light thing and you put a thing over, like you put a clear piece of picture, you know, whatever. You guys probably know what those are. Did, did you do the same? Yeah, they were still the around with me. Yeah, but you could do that. You can do that same kind of thing. You just put paper over the parts of the picture you don't want the kids to see and then gradually expand it out. And so that's the low tech version of the same kind of activity. <laughs> so you can still do that. Um, and what Amy was talking about with using Cami to have the students annotate. Um, I like the whole idea of, you know, you could do that in Google Drawing and so many other things as well. But um also, like taking it even a step further, once they get past the annotating phase and they're thinking, you know, they're kind of once they've gotten past um, pointing out different things that they see, then have them do some research to find out more about the different elements of that picture. You know, what was going on? You know, now actually go do some research. What else was happening at the same time? Like, you know, what maybe had somebody would somebody else see about this picture? How might somebody else have taken this picture from a, you know, from a different point of view, like somebody that was taking this picture from the perspective, like the picture I was talking about earlier with the civil rights uh, protesters being um, hit with the fire hoses, how might somebody from a different perspective or trying to show that from a different perspective have taken that picture? Um, And then you could maybe have the students even do a thing link where they're tagging different parts of that painting or that photograph with additional information that they found or like who do they think the photographer was, you know, give a little bio about that photographer. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that they could do with that, you know, with pictures and images to kind of take it up to like, like a researching then um, and sharing information about it kind of stay step. That's really cool. Now, Chris, as you're uh, talking there, you said you were going to, in the notes here, you mentioned you use ThingLink as well. Yeah. So ThingLink, if you haven't uh, used it for people who haven't checked it out, it's really cool. You can like load an image or basically anything into ThingLink and then you can make these little hotspots on it. Um, and then the different hotspots could be a link to a video. It could be just text information. It could be a link to a website. Um, and so I've used those in my, cause I teach online and I don't ever like have a live synchronous session with my students. So when we're talking about Renaissance art, I put up a picture that is of pre-Renaissance art, like the a Madonna and child image. And then I do uh, show them one that is a Renaissance art uh, from the Renaissance period. And I put different hotspots on there to show them like, okay, here's, what you see in this pre-Renaissance painting and here's like the different element that is related to the Renaissance. And so that way they can kind of hover over those and see the different 
things that are highlighted, the different aspects. Real fast, for those of you who are listening, we definitely recommend that you go to the website and check out the show notes so you can get access to a lot of these links and such that we're sharing uh, because th- these episodes do go on for a bit and we do <laughs> we talk about a lot of things. But I just want to pause real fast. And I'm looking here, Chris, at your Medieval and Renaissance one. And oh, this is this is really well done. This is one of my favorite lessons I used to do with the comparison strategy. But now here, what she's done, if you look at it, uh, she has these different hotspots. And as you move over them, they hover and they, they talk about how the difference of the everything from the background to the representation of of the of the baby Jesus in here and and, and, and the, it really really drives the attention of the uh, of the students to be able to what to look at yeah and this is pretty easy to use so students can do this too I mean they could create their own they could find examples of their own and and then highlight the different things that they see like the differences and mm-hmm. so it's really it's kind of cool and the other thing, too, I want to commend you on here, Chris, is th- and for those of you who are searching, I don't know if you're going to get into it, but when you do look for images, and Chris, you did a fantastic job with these, find high-resolution copies of them. The pictures that you have in here are gorgeous because they're not super small and pixelated. These are gorgeous-looking images that you really – and it's not the fact that they're just pretty and they're nice to look at, but when we want students to be able to dive in, resolution's important. We want them to be able to see things. Yeah, I think I got them from Wikimedia Commons, you know, and then I tried to put the attributes of like who the painter was and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, we're going to talk more in the next section of the podcast about where we find some of these. Yeah, how to find them. Well, awesome. Photos and images. Yeah, so she's got some ones here also about like Louis XIV and Suleiman you should definitely check out. Yeah, and, and the power, kind of what you said with those, too, is the ability for students to start creating them. And, I mean, anytime we can get students to start putting their own opinions on anything is fantastic. I mean, I used to have them just try to identify five things that no one else can see in this photo. And really forcing them to look at, you know, those kind of little elements in your case. I mean, you've got the Florida leaf in there and all sorts of different things and the color. Um, but, I mean, imagine if you had students create those um, thing links and all identify on the same photo or on a few different photos, you know, five things that they think no one else sees. And it'd be amazing to really, you know, start then comparing and, and really diving into what it is that the author has chosen to represent. Um, but, you know, paintings, paintings are interesting, too. Paintings and photos both get, get interesting because we really need to identify some historical accuracy with some of these things. And it, it becomes a skill, right? I mean, putting these photos in context and putting these paintings in the context. Um, and Stanford, it, you know, gets more into the assessment stuff, but Stanford had some beyond-the-bubble uh, assessments that were really kind of interesting. Uh, and one I linked in here was the first Thanksgiving. And what I think is great about this is it's, it's a way to kind of really highlight, you know, this is a painting of the first Thanksgiving. Do you think it's a, a real representation or not? And when you get the students to look at it, you know, it's supposed to represent something that happened in 1621, but it was painted in 1932. And, you know, 311 years later, do we know that the, uh, the painter had done any research? Or is this kind of that romanticized version of what that Thanksgiving looks like? So I think it's a great way to kind of start highlighting uh, those critical skills that we want students to do again in order to put these into context and see if they really match up uh, and historically or, you know, in a historically accurate way and represent uh, those time periods. But, there's a great, oh, sorry. I was oh, going to, go um, I, I always tease my students. There's a great, I was about a year or two ago, MTV did, a, it's like two minute video and it's like, the real Thanksgiving and they sit down at a table and this young woman, you know, it's like basically the Thanksgiving dinner and they're all like, Oh, here are the cute little pilgrim hats. And there's the poem from the kindergartner about how wonderful Thanksgiving is. And this, this gal sitting around the table just like ruins the story about how everything you think about Thanksgiving is this Victorian <laughs> holiday. Like there wasn't, tur- yeah, that stovepipe hat. And, you know, actually they were political allies, not really friends. And, they go, she goes through the whole thing in like three minutes and it's great. My, I, my students tease me all the time. They're like, you're ruining my childhood. I'm like, I'm going to ruin your childhood with everything. Right. That's what this class is all about, people. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's all about. Um, in fact, there was just a thing that popped up on my memories um, in one of my social media accounts about an article. And they were talking about how um, it was interesting because it used a religious text and about how um, in the Bible, they talk about all of these, you know, um, kind of movements of people using camels and how like that's not the camel wasn't domesticated until hundreds of years after the time frame of this story was supposed to be but and how and the reality is is it doesn't really matter but 
how interesting that it took, you know, until it was like 2015 when the article came out of like, hey, wait a minute. Um, No camels, people. Yeah, they wouldn't have ridden camels. Um, But it was an interesting, you know, look at context and how it's not about necessarily what's going on, but it's about the artist or the author and what they understand is what you get out of it. Well, and I mean, and that's in the world of Photoshop, we're competing with some pretty crazy stuff. And so I've linked in uh, the Hurricane Sandy photos that we talked about them during the media literacy episode a little bit, but I, I just brought them back in this um, because it's a great way, again, to help students then authenticate what has been, you know, or just search for things that may have been Photoshopped and, and trying to, again, use that reverse image search to um, just to identify, you know, the sources and, and the changes in, in those photos. But when we're building that context and that and that empathy for the time periods and things, I, I, I do something really easy. I just, you know, I see, I hear, I smell, I feel in my heart, uh, and I feel. And I have a little template on there. It's not nothing crazy, but an example from a student um, where they can find a photograph, you know, from a specific time period. In, in this case, it's a, it's a Lewis Hines photo uh, from child labor. But, you know, taking on the role of that of that kid that you've seen in that photo. And what is it, what is it that they see here? What is it that they hear? And what is it that they're smelling and they're feeling? What is it they really feel deep down inside um, as a way to, again, kind of just generate those historical thinking skills, which can be really tough for kids, but are so important to really uh, truly understand those time periods that we're talking about. This is really neat. For those of you who are checking out the, uh, the show notes on this one, the, the student example that you provided here, Scott, this is really nice. And it's so easy to do. I mean, we're talking about really simple tools, Google Drawings, Google Slides, whatever it is, but just a a plain format, even if you use a simple doc, but just to get kids to start kind of trying to put themselves in those time places. Mm -hmm. And again, but so what's what's great about you or but what the role of you as the teacher is like, let's find those images or let's create the places where the kids can go uh, look for those particular images that they can now try to have those connections with. And that's, I mean, that's where we're going to get to in our next segment, right, is mm-hmm. just where we can find those sources. But for that example on this child labor stuff, I sent them to a website, and I said, you find one photo on here, mm-hmm. um, and, you, and you take on the role of that kid. Yeah. Um, and, and then you get them to share. And if everyone picks a different photo for whatever reason, because you identify with the boy in there, or you, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is that draws you to it. But again, we're just trying to collaborate together and, um, and, and just share what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Very good. And we're going to get to it a little bit later, but my one recommendation for, for sending kids to get images is the idea of uh, uh, creating sandboxes, basically. Instead of just say, go to the web and look for something, guide them to, at the most simple, set them to a website, but maybe create your own folders uh, in which you have corrected, you've, you've created collections and such, but just to help um, help guide them a little bit. But we're going to get to more of that later. Yeah. Well, Ryan, what do you got on here for us? What do I got? Well, I got a whole bunch because it just feels like, you know, I'm trying to decide which of these ones do I go through. So I'm going to go rapid fire through most of these here. Uh, early on, um, was it, uh, Amy, you were talking about some strategies, uh, sort of like worksheets. And so the two worksheets that I've used, and, and I'm not, I've not created either, either of these, but the first one is POSERS. is an acronym, kind of like when you talk about like using soaps for primary sources. But POSERS is a way to be able to look at any particular object sort of a general image analysis and focus, and each of the letters represents something. So P stands for people. So they should be looking at what are the people who are in there? Uh, how are they acting? What do they look like? What are they puzzled by? Then also, then you can continue to go down the acronym. O is for objects. Tell me about the objects. S is for the setting. What's going on? What buildings, uh, things that are ha- uh what, what, what that are there within the image itself? And then get into really kind of what's happening. Like the E stands for engagement or the actions that are happening in this particular image. And then relationships is kind of goes hand in hand with people, about how people are connected with each other. And then the last one is summary, which is interesting is because usually uh, that's the first thing we, what we want to do as humans is take a look at an image and tell me what it means. But I, th- these worksheets kind of lend themselves to having a, uh, a uh, to slow the process down. Because I think, yeah, Chris, you mentioned earlier, or uh, Amy, I forget who it was, but the idea that we need to just focus on what's there focus on just the observations piece. And so I like this uh, a thing called posers. Has anybody ever played with that one or seen that before? No, no but I, I like it. it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know even know where that one came from, but yeah, I've used that one a fair amount. Then the second one's a little bit less complicated, and it comes from the Library of Congress, and it's just called, um, and I have a link in here too, it's called Observe, Reflect, and Question, or ORQ. And going down that road of like, a, as the kids, can they be like little historians, Focus. Look at an image and only look at the obs and only give me observations. 
Only tell me what you notice. And then try to be able to give me reflections about what you think it means. So just like I mentioned the Sherlock Holmes piece, notice everything I see in this particular image. Now, the the second half is tell me what your reflections are. What do you think it means? And then the third part is that there's always things that you don't know. So what are some questions that you still have? And so that's simply just, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say their material is so great. If you ever get a chance to go to any of their workshops, I highly recommend it. And they have them all around the country in different places. And they're usually free. They usually provide like meals and stuff. So they're pretty amazing. So big shout out. I've I've never taken advantage of that before. I I haven't. Have you done it, Mamie? I have. Well, not um, like as a separate thing. But when the Teaching American History grant was was kind of going on in the early 2000s, um, mm-hmm. I got to do work, some work with some presidential museums, and they always brought them in to do, like, part of the workshops with the museum. And it was amazing. I sure missed yeah, that Teaching have, American History grant. Yeah, we have a Center on Representative Government here on campus, and they've, they ha- they've had a, a few workshops a year that they've had a grant for to do with the uh, people that are trained in the Library of Congress things. And so they invite teachers all over Indiana or in the or region to come in and they pay mileage and they pay, you know, they give you lunch and they pay for yeah. a sub. And so it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Maybe that needs to be a topic for a future episode at some point is just like what amazing PD is out there for social studies teachers. Yeah. Good point. Ooh, make like a note. <laughs> so speaking of the, uh, what I mentioned, the observe reflecting question and Amy, you mentioned it before about how to be able to just focus on pieces of it. So I originally start with my students about having them just give me the observations and then reflections and questions. And then I, then I do what you were talking about, how we can just focus on certain parts of the image. And there's a lot of amazing tools you can use. It depends if you're using a smart, note, uh, a smart board or if you're just using PowerPoint or Google Slides or even, like you said, an old-fashioned overhead projector. You have the ability to be able to just focus a, a view on one or another. And the most simple of them, and if you guys look on the presentation that I shared, if you look on slide number six, I've shown I'm showing an example of this in which that um, I, I call this technique divided image, where basically you take a picture and you divide it up, and you just uh, you, like Amy was mentioned, you to put pieces of uh, you just put squares or, or shapes that are uh, that you want to be able to eliminate, and then one by one you just have them animate to go away to re- to reveal certain parts of the picture. I went one step further in this one, though, is that besides necessarily just having the pictures go away, I also had them zoom in. So I took screenshots of them. So we, as you go from one picture to the next, that's really cool. the piece is taken mm-hmm. away, the next one comes in and zooms, uh, zooms in, and you can have those conversations. And it really, so the one that I'm showing an example of here is my, one of my favorite images of all time, and it is called The Strike. It's a painting by Robert Kohler, um, which really kind of t- shows the... Uh, you know, labor, labor union issues and all that sort of stuff in industrial, uh, could be Europe or America. But, um, uh, what this did, and this kind of go, it's going to go hand in hand with what our next, our next, uh, episode is going to be about is how you could be able to use this instead of lecturing per se. So this, 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 this replaced the conversation about this one image replaced my industrial revolution, you know, 15 of my slides that I used to cover. Cause I was just doing this one particular picture. Man, I'm just going back and forth. And make sure if you're viewing this that you're in present mode so you really get the animated effects. But, I mean, this, this is really awesome. It just started getting me thinking, too. I mean, if you started with that first image you have in here, the guy picking up uh, whatever he's grabbing off the ground. Yeah, picking I mean, a rock. Imagine, imagine if you had your students try and create the rest of the scene. So just working from a small kind of, you know, zoomed-in lens and had everyone just, you know, sketch in or just try and – picture what they think is actually going on in this it'd be really fascinating to see you know the just number of different ideas that people have based off of where they're starting scott, you're so scott i cannot tell you how much i love this picture and i've i've done so many different things with this with with my students but also teachers and workshops and that that's exactly the focus of what i have them do is have them think about what came next or have them be able to act out what's ultimately happening. So the two big strategies I do with this, and I think you can do with any image, is be able to freeze everybody in the image, then then grab your phone or your iPad or whatever, and then have somebody come in and be the, hey, we're live in Pennsylvania in 1886. Tell me what's going on. And you interview the people who were in there, and they're all frozen until the interviewer touches them. So they That's actually what- act out this image. So you've got some guy picking up the rocks and some guy saying, yes. Man, yeah. that is 
that's wild. And you start and you can start just adding more people into your scene as you go. And oh my gosh, I, I got and then I then I hold on, I got one more. I decided to go another level. <laughs> so then I decided to I I green screened out this. I'll throw them in the show notes. I green screened out. Sorry, I photoshopped all the major players of this image and took them out of it. Uh-huh. Then I then I filmed the kids on top of green screen. So now they are actually standing live in that picture. Oh, that's so cool! And then now and and, and so I'll share a folder. It's I'll share a folder of multiple um, images of history that I have uh, spent a fair amount of time on my lazy boy with my wife in the uh, on on the couch and us watching TV. But I, I start photoshopping out uh, famous people and events of events in history. With the with the idea that teachers can take these and do use simple green screen stuff, and if you haven't played with it, but green screen by Doomink is one of my favorite. Um, and uh, you just put the kids on a green screen, and they can act out uh, and be these people, or uh, you know, be in these particular time periods. That is, I mean, that that's amazing. And then, and when you that's think awesome. about it, and, and you go, well, I don't have the time to do that. Yeah, well, that's what we're talking about next week. That's why you've got to cut out part of that lecture. I mean, we can't just sit here and talk at kids all the time. We need to get everybody involved and actually start, you know really trying to recreate some of this and, and get it to sink in because you can talk about labor unions, but I mean, if you played a role in that photograph, how much more powerful would that be? That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that's what they're going to remember. Right. Right. And, that, and it, that's exactly, I mean, in my AP history class, I would, you know, we're running through history and one of my, one of my brightest kids a couple of years back, she goes to me and she says, Hey, Mr. O'Donnell, are we going to have any other time? Because the, that thing we did with the strike, can we do more of those kind of things? <laughs> and it was like, gosh, yeah. And like that was a, a, a she had, she was having fun, but she also was connected with that particular time period. That's awesome. Yeah. That hey, so awesome. I dropped a, I dropped a, a note here, a link in here called photoshopped images under the show notes. And there's a Google drive folder in there. If you want to check out. And for those right. of you who are listening, I've, I've shared this out with some of my other um, social media stuff. But if, if you, if you have an image and you really want to do this, you send me the image, you reach out to me on Twitter, send me the picture, I'll Photoshop that person out for you. And I'll, and I'll send <laughs> it back to you. That's dangerous, buddy. <laughs> it is. I, it was funny. I put that out there, and I had a guy reach out to me and said, hey, can you Photoshop this one guy out of a Depression-era photo? And it's it's not that challenging. I mean, some of the stuff's a little intricate, but you you know, once you use a little clone airbrush, you can kind of be able to make some things disappear. And so if you take a look at this fo- the folder, you can see I got some images oh like – That is incredible. <laughs> I'm just looking at your Washington Cross in the Delaware. The Washington Cross in the Delaware. It, it, just, yeah. it just disappears. Okay. You yeah. And all of a sudden I can, like, I can see myself now in front of your green screen, you know, as George Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. yeah. Door. Wow. Wow. I'm sorry. What were you saying, Amy? Uh, we we used to do doppelgangers outside the classroom door where we'd Photoshop faces onto famous. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Washington Cross in the Delaware yeah. one is just way too tempting. It is, yeah. Anyway, so hey, so uh, that's some of the fun things I like to use. I think a lot of us have done gallery walks in the past, but I would I, I would think uh, I would challenge a lot of you to sort of revisit what the gallery walk can look like uh, in terms of. You know, uh, a lot of a lot of districts are really focused on this thing called UDL, Universal De- Universal Design of Learning. And one of the big things in that is the idea about creating access and choice. And I think if you create gallery walks where kids can go around, and I threw a picture of here, one of my favorite ones that I watched, a Holocaust a museum gallery walk. And the idea that you put tons of, you create, get all your images up there, and you create a museum kind of experience. And the kids walk around with their their guides, their worksheets or whatever. And, and on those worksheets, you can give opportunities to things that they have to see and things that they can see. And you create choices. And so you label the different images or newspaper clippings and that sort of stuff. And the kids can kind of walk around and have kind of their own experiences with them. Well, I mean, right. I mean, that's what that, those are the shifts in teaching that we want, right? Is we mm-hmm. want kids to have some choice and autonomy in what they're doing. And if you don't have all of these resources to put up on your wall, oh my gosh, I don't have enough stuff on the Holocaust to cover my entire room. Mm-hmm in a gallery. Well, you know what, if you give every kid a slide on a slide deck to find something and post it there and flip that homework from, okay, well, I want you to read your book and read pages 393 to 375, answer question, you know, whatever it is, but you can have that go in here, take a look at five photos, take a look at the photo or the Mm -hmm. content that you posted and compare it with what you're seeing that, you know, your classmates have shared. And it really doesn't create a lot more work for you as a teacher. No, no. Good point. And also, hey, shameless plug for segment two. We're going to give you tons of places to start finding <laughs> our next segment. Hey, and before we jump into that, the last thing I would recommend if you want to be able to have students use images is do what Ken Burns did. Ken Burns changed the game with be able to, hey, take an image, 
and narrate over the top of it and add a little bit of music or whatever. And you can create your own documentaries and you can go all the way down to lower grade levels. You know, third, fourth, uh, uh, third and fourth grade kids can do these things all the way up to high school. And um, I'm not really going to dive into a lot of the details on it, but there's just amazing tools that are out there. My two favorite to use if you're in the Apple world, iMovie is just a fantastic tool to be able to use if you got iPhones or iPads. But um, Adobe Spark is a super easy one, and it's a free uh, it's a free one. It's on it's an app that you can get, but it's also a web it's also a website. And for students who have a Google login, you can log in for free. Oh, nice! And it's, and you, Adobe Spark is Apple specific, right? No, that's what's nice about Adobe Spark. It's 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 platform agnostic. <laughs> yeah. like and so the nice, yeah. So yeah. So the nice part is you just drop drop an image in, and you just talk. You click the record button. You narrate over the top of it. And again, the kids are the ones who are creating those stories. And I dropped a, an image in of some of my kids doing a Black Death project a couple of years back, in which that they are choosing. You can see they're using. Um, they have little uh, cutouts of the images that they can pick from. They create their timeline of what, what the, the story of the Black Death needs to be. They write their uh, script. They narrate it ultimately into the, um, um, into the device or whatever, and they create their own stories. That's awesome. Very cool. Awesome. Well, All right, I- let's do segment two. Let's transition here. All right. So um, segment two is supposed to be kind of like where, where do you go to find these things? Because it's, it's overwhelming. Um, I'll be honest, when, when I'm looking for something beyond kind of my circle of, of experts, um, I, I typically go to the library of Congress or, you know, I, I hit the, you know, those, those tried and true lesson kind of places like Stanford history education group, but I'll be honest to be, to be completely honest. I've been blessed to be having, I've always worked with a huge department, like 20, 25 people. And some of these people have AP art history for 15 years and let me tell you, and they collect their, they collect them. I bet. Right. <laughs> and with my age and, and the fact that they've been teaching for 20 years beyond my age, um, they've got the filing cabinet. Oh yeah. So, so we, we work together. I, they let give me access to their filing cabinet and I create PDFs of everything they've got in the filing cabinet. And then we're best friends and we both nice. get what we want. Um, so honestly, the, the age we are with social media, there's been several times where I'm like, I'm not quite finding what I'm looking for. Like I want to evoke this feeling or, and I throw it out there in one of the Twitter chats and you can usually catch somebody who's like, Oh, I've got the perfect thing for you, which is kind of cheating, I guess, but it's using my nope. resources. No, That's not right. cheating at all. No. Or Why create the wheel? <laughs> Yeah. What so is I it? guess I don't have an official like website or anything like that, but I just kind of throw it out there because it usually it works better if you can find something somebody else has used first. So, Amy, let me ask you, what do you do then to house? And uh, because this is a big shift that we're having technologically, teachers, we've always been hoarders, right? You collect everything. So my second year of teaching, my my. my co-teacher retired and she gave me like you're saying gave me everything and now i had all of these books i know what i can do with books i put them in the back i know what i can do with the files i put them in the file cabinet and then i became a digital hoarder i was took all the images that i can get and i would make folders hey if i'm teaching russia here's my folder on russian history here's my world war ii images and i felt like hey great i got my portable hard drive of everything and now that's that's all kind of changed so amy are you using any or do you still collect them or do you save your images within the the tools, let's say, like the PowerPoints or the Google slides that I'm doing. Um, what, depending on when I made it, I you know the stuff that I made back in the days of you know the thumb drives and, and stuff like that are still kind of organized, like you said, in a folder of here's my World War II images. But what I've started to try and do is now that everything's in cloud drives, I'll create like a like a, um, a either a Google Doc or actually I've gone through um, like a Google Sheet, and I'll like here's my Google sheet of images and then I can have all the images linked in that one sheet. So I've got like one page resource and then all my images linked to that resource because that way, you know, if I have like, like you said, 40, 50 images and I'm not quite sure which one I want or how to pair them together by having like a cheat sheet that I can go to and then pull from Mm -hmm. is a little less overwhelming than opening up a folder and having 50 things stare at me. Well, yeah. and I'm going to say it again, too, right? What you've created. You've created a multimedia tech set, a doc with a bunch of links, yeah. a bunch of photos, and you give that to the kids, and all of a sudden, you know, you've, that's your curated exploration for them, right? Yeah, and it's great. Well, what, bigger- I've, what I'm kind of exploring now, because like I said, we're new to the one-to-one with the Chromebooks, but um, creating in Canvas a discussion board and hitting that little toggle where kids cannot see each other's posts 
until after they've posted oh, themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally helps with the avoiding the cheating and, oh, I'm just going to say what Kevin said or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, well, yes, if- you need to post, but then now you need to respond to three others who have already posted. And if you're not using Canvas, but, you know, Google Classroom has that same question feature, right? And you can't yeah. see what people say until you post. And it just yeah. – it gives you that place to give kids, you know, the time to actually say something on their own. And if you really want, you know, they can go back in and they can edit or they can reply to themselves and clear up anything that, you know, that that they may want to change in, in their response. But, yeah, just trying to get them to digitally communicate. Mm-hmm. And, Very good. Very cool. Awesome. Hey, Chris, let's, let's have you jump into yours. You got some stuff about China. What's this? <laughs> well, I think this is probably something I came across on Twitter a few weeks ago, but uh, I thought, oh, well, that sounds interesting. And it's from the University of Bristol in England, and it's a collection of historical photographs of China organized into some different categories. And it tells on the website, like kind of where the pictures came from and how the university came to them and everything. But it's really kind of cool because they're not images that I've seen a lot you know, like they're not your typical images of China that you see like in textbooks and things like that. There's some really kind of unique um, things in there. So I just thought that was kind of cool to share because I didn't know how many other people may have come across that. And if you teach world history, especially kind of the, you know, uh, the period of European contact or, you know, like enhanced contact with uh, China during the age of imperialism and then, you know, like the whole spheres of influence thing and, stuff so you know it's kind of cool i mean it is very kind of england centered but you know there's a lot of pictures some of the pictures are actually um you know from chinese photographers i believe um in there as well and and what and what's nice now is we've been trained for so long to just go to google and look for images but what we lose a lot of is that context you have an Mm -hmm. image and you're like great years ago i was working i I do some side work for uh teacher creative materials and they asked me to write the uh, primary source uh kit for imperialism and i'm like love it i'm like they and this is my task i got to come up with all these lessons but you need to be able to pick eight primary sources and eight images for photo cards Mm-hmm. Go out and find him. I'm like, well, sweet. I already got him. Like, I got tons of stuff. But then, can you imagine taking an image and like, well, I don't, I, I don't know where it's from. <laughs> I don't know the. I, I need to be able to find some of the background information on it. And so I just had a hard time doing some re- reverse Google image searches and be able to ultimately try to find stuff. And so what you shared here is all of these images that you're looking at actually has the notes and has the copyright information on it, talks about where it's from, who took it. And that's kind of a really interesting thing that we really kind of need as opposed to just having check this out kind of stuff. Yeah, and to see other images that were taken around the same time or the same place and maybe by different people, you know, the way they have the pictures grouped together. So I thought that was really interesting. And then I'm sure a lot of people have heard about this just earlier this week that the Met Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York announced this program called Open Access where they're making images of their public domain artwork available for unrestricted use. Like you could give your, you know, it's legal now to like you give your send your students like, okay, here's this, you know, painting or this artifact that the, that the Met has and you can like edit it. You know, you can have your kids like that. You said Photoshop and put themselves into a picture or whatever that is totally legit to use. And they have all like the, Creative Commons rights and everything on them. So it's like 375,000 images. <laughs> I'm looking at this article right here. Like, yeah, 375,000 copies of public domain artworks are now open. So yeah, cool. So kind of crazy. What? I did not see the story. Yeah. That's what our podcast is for to share the stories you <laughs> oh may have missed. Oh my God, missed. how cool is that? That's awesome. That's a great share right there. Explore the Mets collection right there. Nice. All right. Yeah. We'll yeah, check out the show notes. We'll put the links in there too as well. Oh, wow. very cool. Very cool. I got to refocus. I got to focus. I got to. Who's next? Am I up next? <laughs> I think you're next. Sorry. Nice. Sorry. Hey, so uh, you mentioned before, I think, Amy, about the uh, about where to be able to look. And this is one of these places that I'm. I'm, I'm a little nervous that it's going to go away or something's going to happen to it because my, my share out is a thing called Flickr. Flickr has been Flickr was a, a photo sharing service that was wildly popular six, seven, eight years ago. And then a company called Yahoo bought them and we're like, wow, okay, so Yahoo purchased you and it and Yahoo, and if you've seen the news there, it's a lot like the Titanic. It's it's slowly going down. And Yahoo has been doing less and less sort of attention and love, and Flickr has kind of not become it's not been the place that it once was. Now why I'm talking about that is because Flickr is a place where you can host your own family photos, your own pictures, and they give you tons of space. You get a terabyte for free if you want. 
And I used Flickr for about a year and a half, and I liked it. I ultimately switched when Google Photos came out for my own personal photos, which, by the way, greatest program I've used, Google Photos, hands down. But Flickr is kind of a great way. Now, how Flickr is different, though, is they create – you can create public albums that are just open. And so what was interesting is right when Flickr was hot – um, organizations like the Library of Congress, the National Archives, the White House, the Capitol, U.S. Capitol, decided let's take, instead of just hosting our images on our own site or put it on the here, or put it over there, a lot of them just decided let's put our stuff on Flickr, which is really nice. So I have done, I, I've added some links in the show notes, and if you guys want to take a look at some of these ones, these are the, many of these are the early, the early links that I have on there are the actual collections from those organizations. Um, so like Library of Congress, if you want to check out that one. And so it's not, you're not going to the Library of Congress. You're going to the Library of Congress's Flickr, um, Flickr page. And they have 28,000 pictures on there. But the nice part, instead of just having the images up as is, they, they have albums. So like Library of Congress, they have like news in the 1910s. There's, there's 19,000 pictures you know, of, of, of images from the, of the 1910s. And uh, you mentioned before, Scott, about, you know, uh, Lewis Hine and his pictures, and he's got some great images up here from child labor stuff. And the pictures are all high resolution, full of attributions as well, so you know what's going on in all of them. Um, and kind of really beautiful layouts as well, too. Well, you know, I, I've dabbled in Flickr in the past, but I, I've never actually been searching for albums in here, but you're right. I mean, this is, this is fantastic stuff, and they're coming from, I mean, the authorities on... Um, Mm-hmm. On, on these issues. Yeah. Now, sometimes I have some other links on here that towards the end, some of these other links are just ones that individuals have put together. So there's a great one from 1975 Vietnam, uh, pictures that precede the war and during the war. Um, uh, crazy about the Cold War is this set. Like if you take, if you t- anybody teach the Cold War, this person, this is just a guy named James Vaughn who decided to collect 1,200 pictures of all things Cold War, not necessarily just photos, but like magazines and um, uh, uh, advertisements of all these things, you know, toys in which that were all around during the, uh, during the Cold War. Phenomenal <laughs> stuff. And then I have some art ones as well, too. That, and some of the art goes back. You have ancient, you know, Egyptian and Sumerian and Mesopotamian, all that kind of stuff. So um, th- check these things out. They're amazing images. World War II posters is, oh, because you know you always want to search for World War II posters. So here's somebody who's collected all these World War II posters, high high resolution versions of them all, all in one particular spot. And so, yeah, wow, fantastic images there to check out. I'm looking at these World War II posters, and there are substantially more World War II posters on this uh, on this image than I have in my World War II file. You know, in your collection, I mean, yeah. The, the wealth of what you can find because somebody has wow. I mean. Did, to be, yeah, I'm, I'm like you, Scott. I, I, I've taught World War II, and I use posters. 80% of these pictures I've never seen before. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Fantastic. Wow. Anyway, so dig around there. Feel free to check them out. And uh, I'd love – if you guys find more albums, those of you who are out there listening, please share it back. We'd love to be able to um, – you know, uh, like we were saying before at the start of the show, we're better together. Yes, we are. Oh, and, and the first one I put on there, too, in commemoration of uh, February is Black History Month. Here's one uh, uh, some individual put together an album called Black History Album. He's got, you know, a thousand photos in here and all album uh, driven, you know, uh, some pictures from the 1930s. Here's ones for, you know, blacks in education, African-American women, you know, brothers and sisters, group portraits. Anyway, so anyway, (laughs) anyway, so lots of stuff to check out, check out later. So, Scott, let's go to you. What are you going to share out here about how to find some images? Well, you know, one of my favorite places that is available online to find paintings and photos and all sorts of things is the Google Cultural Institute. And if you have not been there, it is pretty incredible. I mean, they are curating, um, you know, collections from museums. You can search for images, museums, themes, uh, locations, partners, mediums, movements. I mean, all sorts of different things. Um, And what's really great about it is you can actually, by liking different photos or um images that you see, you can actually create your own uh, collections and then you can share them. So you as a teacher can go through and as you find things, I was just looking through some of the stuff I had in there. I've got some funny things in there. I've got one called evil eyes, you know, and it's just these <laughs> like kind of dictators through history. Um, and just a look at, you know, a look at that kind of face you would imagine just somebody who has got some darkness inside of them. 
Um, but you know, students can also curate their own and then they can share them with their classmates. It's a real easy way um, to just kind of share those images out. Wait, 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 wait. I, so you can make your own? Yeah. I didn't know this about it. I didn't oh, know man. that. Yeah, you find, click on an image in there and then on the top, there's you. It's a, it's a little goofy because it's actually a heart that you have to click on. But you click on this thing to like it and it actually ends up in your uh, in your album. Oh, okay. The heart you got to click on. Yeah, you got to click on the heart. But you click okay. on the heart, and you'll and you'll have the album, and then you can share those albums. You're a little limited. I, you know, I wish there was more. If Google's listening to our podcast, I wish there was a little <laughs> bit more that you could do with those albums afterwards, mm-hmm. um, and you know, create some comments and, and things like that. But uh, but it's just a very easy way to, you know, search and curate for uh, different different pieces. And you know, first talking about different artists or movements i mean what you can search uh search by is pretty pretty impressive yeah uh, they I'm also looking, have links I'm to at this one here the uh, chinese arts of the new moon celebrating the uh uh the new year from in east asia so there's some great stuff here uh so definitely check that out i mean there's a wealth of stuff in the in the cultural institute um earlier i mentioned the lewis hines child photo collection uh that i've used and i've linked that in there um, but one of the other things that I love, I used to teach geography and, um, hungry planet. If you've never seen hungry planet, what the world eats, uh, it, it's amazing. They're just photos, uh, by Peter Menzel of different families around the world, uh, with kind of the amount of food that they would consume in, in a week. And you can have some amazing conversations just by comparing, you know, different places, uh, but you also can find all these things kind of curated. So I've got a link for Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential Images of All Times. And you can read through. They have their own criteria on what has made these images influential. But imagine starting your history class, you know, with something like that. And in the beginning of the year, as we're going to start talking about images and photos, you know, everyone off of that list just grabbing what they think it is and how they think it fits into the, you know, the actual subject that you're, that you're teaching, whether it's U.S. history or world history. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so much out there. But uh, the last one I got on here was Hold on real fast. This Time yeah. Magazine, we jump back in this Time Magazine one. This is really, because each image, they just don't talk about the images themselves. Like I'm clicking. No, they talk about the whole context and you can really get into uh, the re- I mean, they have their justification for why they ended up on there. So when you mm-hmm. click into the image, it will take you into a whole wealth of information about it, about when it was taken, why it's there, how it made the list. Um, yeah, because I'm looking at this amazing image that we all know of lunch on top of a skyscraper. You know, these workers who are helping yeah. build one of these uh, uh, skyscrapers in the 1930s here. And you click on the image and like, okay, now there's some information about it. You know what I mean? No- nobody knows who the, uh, who the artist is, what was going on at this particular time period. This is really neat. Beautiful layout, too, on this. Yeah, and, and there's so much. I mean, and they even have, right, they even got a video on the bottom of that specific link um, that gets into a little bit of the, uh, you know, of, of that period and stuff. So mm-hmm. there's, there's so much content out there that we can find. Um, Very the last cool. thing I just want to share, we could have we tied in with our Maps episode, but what was there? I, I, I just discovered this from uh, my colleague Lisa Heifel the other day. And this is cool, man. You click on that, you'll go down the rabbit hole. But it basically is a, a geo-based image, like kind of historical image thing. So you can search for your hometown and find photos of, you know, streets in, in the place that you live uh, that were taken, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Um, and really, it's, it's, it's one of those rabbit holes that you can start going down and, and just finding places that you've been to or places that you know or are familiar with and seeing what, what it looked like, you know, back back. Oh, that would be that would be awesome for like a local history type. Yeah. And that's exactly what we used it for. It was a, it was a local history and, and there's not a whole bunch. I mean, and depending on where you are, you'll, you'll get more uh, images mm-hmm. and things that have been tagged in there, but it's, it's just very cool to be able to, especially for us social studies teachers to see these, these, you know, historical images in the context of what is there now um, mm-hmm. and locations that your students know and are familiar with. This could be. This could be. This could be. This is fantastic. Like, I agree with you. It does need some more images. But the whole point of this idea is that you're tagging images, historical images, to their locations is a really great idea. Yeah, and, yeah, I and th- isn't it an app too? Like an uh, app that you can have on your phone, and like when you're at when you are somewhere, you can hold your phone up. And I want to say this, and I may be totally making this up. <laughs> I thought that I had read that where then it will like put the historical overlay over what you're seeing and tell you like. 
and about the historical. I want you know, this. I don't know. It says on the top that there's an iPhone app. Uh, I have not used the app version of it, though. But, Chris, and I bet really you can cool. add stuff to it. Yeah. And that yeah. would be a cool thing for a local history class to have the kids go out and take the pictures. And, yeah. uh, and, and add to this as a way to share. Um, yeah. Go to the local cool. museum, find some uh, find some old images. And, gotcha. And that was whatwasthere.com. Whatwasthere.com. Awesome. Well, great talks, everybody. Again, tons of stuff for me to check out later. So we, I know we've run long, but let's do a quick little wrap-up today. We like to do social studies today. What's going on of interesting of note that we all can do a quick little share-out? So let's make these fast. Amy, let's kick it off with you first. What's something you may want to check out? All right. Mine was a little more just kind of for fun. But this morning as I was scrolling through social media, um, I found a YouTube video where somebody had taken um, the new president's tweets over the first few weeks of his um, you know, time in office and lyrics for a um, kind of early 2000s emo song. And what was funny was that the first few hours that I tried to like access the link, you couldn't get in to any, I mean, <laughs> whether you searched by the, by the, you know, the name of it, by you search by topic and like YouTube, like it was, and I was like, now you have to keep in mind, I was just teaching about like the interwar years of in Europe between World War One and World War Two, So my brain went, what's going on? Totalitarian rule, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, and I was kind of skimming at it earlier and it, it just, it's one of those kind of amusing things you can talk about, you know, how things mm-hmm. are, you know, social studies and history kind of in the moment and how you can kind of the access we have and how lucky we are to poke some fun. Cool. Absolutely. The power of humor. Um, mm-hmm. Well, the thing that I came across this week was also on February 7th, the same day that the Met announced their open access policy for all their images. But February 7th was Laura Ingalls Wilder's birthday. And if you're familiar with the little house on the Prairie books that she wrote, uh, the New York times had a piece where the author of this article was talking about uh, how, elements of those novels reflect both kind of red state and blue state concerns and interests. And so I just thought that was a really interesting piece. So it's linked in the show notes. And just, if you do love like the little house books, if you haven't already read pioneer girl and annotated autobiography, highly recommended. It is the coolest thing. Talk about context. It's like her autobiography that she actually wrote, but then it's got all these pictures and like, images of documents and things like that with all these notes. I mean, it is, it was amazing. So highly recommend that book review too. So. <laughs> book review. Awesome. Awesome. I, well, I, have, I have to be honest. I've, just ne- I've never been a little house person. <laughs> My wife has, but I'll pass that on though, for sure. There you go. <laughs> well, mine, uh, mine is a little bit, a little bit different, but uh, I came across a foreign policy article uh, and it was called the black water of jihad. Uh, it was kind of fascinating. I just, I threw it in here. I thought it would open up some interesting conversations if you've got some older students. Um, but you know, a lot of us may be familiar with Blackwater a few years ago, who was the uh, military contracting group that we used in Iraq um, heavily, you know, a us based company. But what was interesting about this article is it starts talking about these, um, you know, we know mercenaries are fighting around the world, but these are, this is a, a, a group that is going in to train um, members of the Islamic State in their fight to overthrow the Syrian regime. And I mean, it's just kind of fascinating to see where these stories come from and where these people are coming from and how they're ending up there. Um, and I think you've got a lot of power to just, you know, if we're talking about trying to resolve conflicts, you know, is it possible to resolve conflicts in this area where there are people who are making a lot of money in training people to continue these conflicts? And it was just something that was kind of timely and it just just something that really struck me. And so I, I threw it in there as an opportunity if uh, if that's, you know, something that ties into hmm. anything that you'd cover. Um, but it's, it's something that's just from a very different perspective than what we would normally see looking at, you know, military contractors and mercenaries. But this is, these are the people who are training essentially the enemies that we're fighting. It's, oh, it's wow. pretty, pretty fascinating. Hmm. It's fascinating. Interesting. Huh. All right. And I'll wrap this thing up here. Uh, with the whole presidential conversation, something didn't happen this year. And that is because we have a new president. We did not have a state of union address. We did not. Yeah, we did not. And normally the State of the Union <laughs> State of the Union address is January twentieth. And did you know that uh presidents actually some of them used to, in the day used to actually have a State of the Union address. None of them has done it since Jimmy Carter did one in nineteen eighty one. On inauguration uh, day? On uh, yeah. And so um 
so the idea of uh, the State of the Union address has got me um, uh, wanted to share a quick little resource and idea, and that is um, taking a, a President's State of the Union address, and oftentimes we want to be able to have our kids analyze them. And so what I have done is uh, use the idea about using those tag clouds. And there's tons of different tools out there, like Wordle and such. The one that I really enjoy using is called Tag Crowd. And by going to tagcrowd.com, and then what you can do is if you open, if you bring up a State of the Union address, and so I have a link in our show notes to every State of the Union address the presidents have given. And if you open that up, you can copy and paste the text and be able to drop that into the one of these word cloud generators. And then what it does is basically it's a word frequency generator, and it kind of just ciphers it all down and gives you kind of what the gist is. Um, and then you can take a screenshot of that. And so in our show notes, I showed a, a quick little comparison of Clinton's uh, 1998 State of the Union to Bush's 2003 State of the Union address. And that's all just the sort of a word cloud of the image, images from that particular text. Very wow. cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and that's just a great strategy to use in itself to, you know, here's a whole bunch of different things. And we want to just consolidate it down into their essential, you know, elements. But um, that's a really creative way to, to do it with State of the Union. Yeah. And, and you could do it with any particular primary source. I just have used them generally for uh, to do uh, uh, w- w- with my kids to talk about when the, prim- when the State of the Union comes up. So they can kind of see, particularly really do the focusing on the change over time uh, strategies about how, like for here, you can see Clinton's uh, focus versus Bush's focus. And we talk about the reasons why. You could talk about difference of, of what was happening at the particular time period and also political parties and all that kind of stuff. And really kind of a great way. And you can kind of think of different ways. So like uh, we used to do one of uh, what the two times that America was attacked right after uh, 9-11 and the next president, uh, State of the Union address from FDR after Pearl Harbor and be able to kind of see what those look side by side. Well, and I'm just looking at these and you can really, I mean, you, you can really tell kind of that time period too. I mean, in the Bush one after 9-11, we're talking about Saddam Hussein and terrorists and weapons and all sorts of different things versus, you know, the 98 Clinton, which was a very just different era in, you know, I mean, it was a pre 9-11. I mean, it, it, yeah. this, this is awesome. That's a great way to yeah. do that. And I yeah, usually I, I, I didn't I didn't drop a screenshot in here, but I have Obama's after the uh, in uh, in I forget which year, but you can see all the focus about business and the recession and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I saw uh-huh. a lot of these kind of word cloud generator thing or generated things after the inauguration this year, where people had done that with different inaugural addresses oh, as well, which was really which was really pretty informative. Oh, I'm gonna look that up cool. right there. Yeah. Very cool. Hey, that was fun, people. I think we're getting better at this. We're getting better. <laughs> and we hope, you know, we hope that those of you who are listening and who st- who are, still listening. <laughs> are still listening, but did you guys find some, um, some interest in this as well too? And, and please definitely reach out to us. If you, if, uh, if you found any of this, uh, these conversations interesting and please also share out as well too. Yep. Yeah, Tell your absolutely. friends about the podcast. Uh, your podcast, yeah. And so, <laughs> hey, for, for those of you, there's tons of conversations that are happening on Twitter. Definitely use that hashtag SSChat to be able to share out things that you find out your day-to-day, but also um, uh, this as well, too. So share out the podcast. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to uh, our next episode, which will be number seven. Number seven. Number seven. And uh, we will dive into a topic that is uh, about breaking up the lectures and how we can make our history classes more engaging without so much teacher talk time and really kind of create a student-centered classroom um, by cutting out some of those lectures. We talked about a lot of awesome things, but, you know, it's always a time, it's always a time crunch. Every history teacher I've ever talked to, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough time. Well, let's figure out how we can um, maybe rethink some of, that, some of that teacher talk time. Because that's exactly it. It's about that we're never going to create more minutes. So we have to be able to focus on the rethinking about what to do with those minutes. And well, that's a wrap for episode six. Thanks everybody for joining us. And before we end the show in the beginning, we ask you all to identify this, uh, the uh, speech that was given in the quote in the beginning of the show. So for those of you who've stuck around to the end, the answer to it is from Nelson Mandela from 1990 from his Africa. It is our speech. So thanks again for everybody for listening to episode six.
but have mighty power. 